Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. In 1969, this little band that some of you may have heard of called the Rolling Stones put out an album called Let It Bleed. There was a song on it, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Very popular. song itself was not intended to be deeply theological. It was written because Mick Jagger, the Stones' lead singer, was dating Marianne Faithful, who was having a substance abuse problem. And he wrote the song with her in mind. But it has an amazing quote in it. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you'll find you get what you need. When I was thinking about this service, I was thinking about how to talk about CRT, how to talk about justice, how to talk about what we want versus what we need it's a toughie. A few years back, the quote surfaced that America has racism without racist. That it's possible to have racism without racist as part of our overall structure. Very conservative friend of mine said, that's why people laugh at you guys on the left. Because now you don't even need racist to have racism. It just racism. I said, no, it, do, it doesn't work that way. And I thought about it for a minute. I said, let me ask you a question. If you could wake up tomorrow, a little bit of magic here, bear with me. If you could wake up tomorrow and be black and not black as you are, not black, you, Bill, sitting there, but you, Bill, with all your characteristics and everything about you the same, black, starting over in a new town, same training, same job history, same everything, but without the protection of your family and friends and the job you already have. Only difference is you as you are now black and in a totally new community. How would, that, how would that work for you? And I got a really long pause. Because he knew the answer. I said, would it be harder to get a car at that new location? How do you think that would work? Because the studies have been really clear. If I send a young black man and a young white man to the same car dealership on two consecutive days, they talk to the same dealer, and they look at the same car, the young black man gets charged over a thousand more. If I send those same two men and their families to talk to a realtor, they get shown different houses. 
even if both of them say the exact same things about where they want to live and who they want to live by. And when they get shown the same houses, they get offered different prices. When you blind submit to a job and one person's name is LaDonna or LaToya, Shekinah, Denisha, and somebody else's name is Bill or Ted or John or Steve or Sally, I bet y'all could tell me who gets the interview. I said to my friend, that is what CRT is. It's not the idea that white people are bad. That has nothing to do with it. White people aren't bad or no more than anybody else. It's the idea that the system was built for them. If I walk into the grocery store here in Venice, grocery near me, if Nancy and I go in, Nancy can go straight to the shampoo aisle and she can pick out any shampoo and any conditioner because they're built for her white hair. There are three of them that work for me. And none of the oils or other hair care products I need for my Middle Eastern hair. If you walk into a grocery store and we look for groceries, we go down the aisle, you wouldn't believe the European food that's mixed in with the other food. You know where my food is? It's a big sign at the top of it that says ethnic. I don't even get Middle Eastern. I get ethnic. Understanding what we actually need is a little complicated. A few years back, Cheryl Gates McFadden, now some of you will remember her as Dr. Crusher on Star Trek. Others of you who've seen Labyrinth, she was the choreographer. She studied with actor Jacques Lecoq in France. He taught physical movement by teaching utter stillness. He believed that in order to understand movement, you need to understand its opposite. Poet Mark Nepo believes some of the same thing. He writes, I've been watching stars rely on the darkness they resist, and fish struggle with and against the current, and hawks glide faster when their wings don't move. We try so hard to be the main character when it's our point of view that keeps us from the truth. The only way to listen to what can never be said is to quiet our need to steer the plot. When jarred by life, we might unravel the story we tell ourselves and discover the story we are in, the one that keeps telling us. One of the roughest parts about doing the work of liberation is this idea of who the main character is and what we tell life versus what it tells us. Writer Chris Boschool tells a story in some interviews, and it goes something like this. 
Chris started out as a server in restaurants, and he was really, really good at it. So he got better sections, better money, better shifts. About nine months after he'd been at a restaurant, a new guy, a confident, intimidating, tough new guy named something like Chuck got started there. And he was equally as good as Chris. So he started to get some of the good sections. So when Chuck walked toward other men, he expected them to move out of his way. He always assumed that he had the right of way. Barskell says, and really, this seems to describe how Chuck lived his whole life. He walked straight at people and expected them to move. Until one day, Chris decided he had enough and didn't move aside for Chuck. Chris just kept walking, too. And Chuck and Chris collided very hard, and Chuck was furious. And Chris said, Chuck, I was just walking, just like you were. Why did you assume that I was going to get out of your way every time? And Chuck hit him. He actually broke his nose. And Chris said, I thought later of an anonymous quote, equality can feel like oppression, but it's not. What you're feeling is the discomfort of losing a little bit of your privilege. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. That feeling is very, very real. And it does not matter a bit if it should be real or shouldn't be or it's embarrassing. It's real. It hurts to lose your privilege. When I went back to working on the nursing floor after years of being an administrator, when I decided I was going to go to seminary, my first eight months, I didn't wear a nursing uniform. I wore my nice dress-up administrator clothes because, you know, I'm doing them a favor coming back to the floor and aren't I wonderful? Lovely. After about nine months, the director of nursing said, you know, you really need to wear some scrubs. I went home and sulked. (laughs) How could she tell me I needed to go buy some scrubs? And then I thought, wow, how privileged am I? (laughs) Everybody else has got to wear scrubs. What makes me special? Robin D'Angelo is a social justice educator. She's the one that created this term white fragility, which I am not a fan of particularly. (coughs) She says white people in America live in a social environment that protects and insulates them from race-based stress. It builds white expectations for racial comfort while lowering the ability to tolerate racial stress. And that's what she calls white fragility. It's a state in which even the minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. Emotions like anger and fear and guilt, argumentation, silence, leaving the situation. And these behaviors in turn function to reinstate white racial equilibrium. And she finds that race-based stress is everywhere and it leaves behind pain and fragility while we're trying to work to bring justice. 
Now, some people feel like this is the world of Harrison Bergeron, the reading today, where all white people are now going to be handicapped and pulled down somehow. It's uncomfortable, really uncomfortable to admit that it's harder to be black or brown than it is to be white in U.S. society. Part of the reason we come here together is to comfort one another as we deal with this uncomfortable stuff. We want to live in a world free from uncertainty and fright that is normal. But for that to happen, the ones of us who currently have the most, the ones who are the most centered, will have to deal with the new experience of living race or race-based stress. It's stressful when you go to the grocery store and you can't buy food and you can't buy hair products. Not terribly stressful, not horrible. It's annoying. One little annoyance. And it's annoying when somebody follows you around the grocery store because they don't trust you because of the color of your skin. It's not horrible, it's annoying. But those little annoyances mound up. Your child comes home from school and they got told they're not allowed to wear their natural afro because it disturbs the other children. Little girl got told last month that her natural afro hair blocked other children's views so she was going to have to cut her hair. Children have had their hair cut for them. Their natural hair. One stress after another stress after another stress. We can't get what we want without getting what we need first, and we need the experience of dealing with our own racial issues and learning to be there for one another as we all deal with this, of not expecting people of color to help us learn. We need all of this for liberation to occur for all of us. We need to get to the part of inclusion. On your order of service today, there's a graphic on it. You've all probably seen it at one point or another. I'm not going to belabor it too long. But the first image is reality. Elon Musk is sitting on a pile of boxes so high that we can't see him. A young black homeless man with a substance abuse problem might as well be dug eight feet down where only his head shows above the ground. Your average person can barely see over the wall in front of them. That's reality right now. Equality sounds good. It's where you make the amount of apple crates everybody's standing on exactly equal. But some of us will still be staring at the fence. There are people alive today only two generations out of slavery. When I worked as a nurse aide at 16, I had one patient whose parents were born in slavery. She was 104 years old when I took care of her, the last of 13 children. I cared for another patient years later who was 102. Both his mom and dad and oldest two brothers were born in slavery. His mother was 12 when he was born. 
horrific. Horrific, horrific, horrific. <clears throat> Equality doesn't help somebody who needs more help to even get lined up. Equity is a better idea. You give more help till everybody can see over the fence. Somebody who is two generations out of slavery where nobody in their family has ever gone to college and they are the first one to finish high school. Can you imagine the stress and the strain? They need programs to help them pick out a college, adjust to the first year. That's equity. And what's justice? Justice is we tear down the wall so that nobody has the obstacle in front of them. Equality lets us all confront the obstacle together with what we need, but equity says we remove it. Then no one requires anything to get around it. We throw away the fence and say, look, Everyone can be fully present. And inclusion is one step further. It says, not only can you be present, we're inviting you to be present. We don't just have a stage with a ramp so that you can get up here if you're handicapped. We're going to go to beloved conversations and learn to understand that it's okay to have a handicapped minister that we might find a minister in a wheelchair or using a walker, and that's okay. That's inclusion. Rosemary Bray McNatt says that that's what's happening right now. We've been presented with the gulf between what we say we believe and what we do, and the dissonance is painful. We don't immediately have access to what many want, a life free of pain dealing with racial injustice. But we do have immediate access to something we need very badly, a community to love and hold and travel with us as we do the work. We here at UCOV are engaged in social justice work, and we're trying to work to expand and deepen our faith perspectives. We're looking for new ways to be there for one another, new paths to learning and sacred experience, new ways to grant one another grace. Each of us needs all of us to continue in these times, and our living faith calls us on over and over again. You're called to recognize and honor the real pain of this work, to hold one another in ways great and small through the pain, and to keep moving forward, even if you do it in tiny steps. We're going to covenant to walk one another home and to hold one another up until we can figure out together how to get all the obstacles gone and everyone can sigh in relief. Our light is a promise of hope and comfort for the world, and if even one of us is still moving forward, the light will never fail. So shine bright and be there for each other as we take what we need to get to what we want. And if you have a minute, stop and listen to the Rolling Stones. It is so worth it.
Amen.